Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough. And welcome to season two, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> I love how some podcasts do it like, you know, they're going to do X amount of episodes and then they go into the next season. We just went by a year later. That's the end of our I first season. I think that's season. fair. It's been that a year, season two. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're, we're still hanging on here by, uh, by the skin of our skin here. But uh, if it's your first time joining us, welcome to uh, season two. On every episode of the podcast, we'd like to feature a unique ingredient or food, kneading together the components of its history, exploring the twisty, knotted stories of its heroes, and celebrating all of its deliciously salty hoopla. Mm. And our topic this week is pretzels. It is pretzels. That was a good pretzel analogy there. Well, thank you. I love a good pretzel. I, uh, I've eaten many a pretzel in my life. But why are we talking about pretzels today? Uh, not only because we love them, but uh, I don't know what time you listener are hearing this podcast. But in the real world, it is Oktoberfest. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about Oktoberfest, but it is pretty much an insane time in uh, in southern Germany and Bavaria. And it's bled here to the States now where Oktoberfest uh, tends to run pretty much the month of October in the States, but really it shouldn't be the entire month. My, my dad used just to that joke. one this weekend. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, we were in one in, uh, Nate and I went to one in, um, in Wisconsin. Yeah. You'll have to send, uh, you'll share those pictures. You sent me a couple of them. I thought they were pretty, uh, pretty classy. It was a big, uh, big event you went to a big space anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great beer hall that we were at. I think it was like the oldest one in that area of, uh, I think we were in Racine and it was pretty, it was pretty good. Yeah. Well, my well, dad used your... to my, my dad used to always joke that uh, Americans think that Germans only eat in the month of October. Um, oh. That's the only time to think about German food, but uh, but that's fine. We'll we would take their money any time of year whenever they were craving some uh, some German food. We're becoming a very German centric food podcast here. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I think that. next week there will be no sauerbraten. We need to like <laughs> enough with the Deutsch. Damn, with a guy named Hans, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll explore some of the um, some of the UK uh, food because the UK has been in the news quite a bit uh, lately as well, but not for not for food reasons. So, as always, I love to uh, sort of identify our terms, right? So, what exactly is a pretzel? Which sounds for someone who knows pretzels, that sounds obvious. But what makes it different from any other uh, baked good? Uh, so, as you know, I love to talk about plants. So let's start with that. Pretzels are grown on this small, woody, perennial shrub that grows <laughs> in the Alps. And the Latin name for the pretzel plant is Panum retorta, which literally means twisty bread. Uh, they're usually harvested in late summer oh, or early. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You see, there was no Latin word for pretzel. And so you had to. I made to... one up. I love it. All right. I made one up. Panum retorta. We are. We are... Welcome to America's only German Latin <laughs> podcast for uh, all I, of you. I knew you would be disappointed if I didn't have a Latin name for pretzel. <laughs> What's Sorry. the Latin name for pretzel again? Uh, I made it up. It's panum retorta, which literally means bread twisted. Oh. Panum retorta. See, I would have gone like twistus saltolitis. It's not pig Latin. It's actual Latin. All right. <laughs> well, so all BS aside, what makes a pretzel a pretzel versus any other kind of bread? Is it, and I'm not just talking about the shape, which we can talk about later, but really it's that sort of signature dark crust, right? It's kind of got this chewy texture. It's the perfect ratio of kind of outer crust to chewy, you know, what they call a certain tooth, like a density to it. Uh, and really that sort of chew is not too far off from a bagel, right? I mean, if you think about Absolutely. Yeah, the inside. In fact, I've seen pretzel bagels. And the main difference is that sort of uh, dark yeah, that, crust. Yeah, so that 
pretzel bagel is the worst of both. Oh, is, is so we won't use that as a good example. No. But I mean, if you are in New York, you're getting a good bagel at, at, at a corner deli and you're getting a good pretzel on the street. Yeah. And that that's that is uh, kind of a, a neat thing, you know, the regionally, the sort of nuance and difference you see in, in the pretzels and bagels. But the, the thing that pretzels and bagels have in common is that they're both a yeast dough and the doughs are boiled before they are baked. So right. they're actually yeah, boiling the outside first. And that's kind of what gives it a different texture on the outside and makes it chew on the inside. But the sort of main difference between a pretzel and a bagel is that pretzels get boiled in an alkaline bath. And uh, so they use historically they would use lye and we'll talk about lye a bit later. Um, but it's kind of more modern because lye can be a toxic sort of dangerous chemical. They use uh, baking soda, but they use baked baking soda. So they actually kind of toast the baking soda first. And it's that alkalinity that sort of gelatinizes the outside of the dough. So it prevents the crust from sort of what they call springing or rising any further. So it kind of sets the outside. And I am not a baker. So when I was looking these things up, uh, and actually Ella, my daughter, uh, made this recipe I'm going to share today. And it really was fascinating because, you know, that specific kind of bath is the thing that changes that the color and also the texture and gives that um, sort of alkaline flavor that we all think of as pretzel flavored. So it's kind of like a bagel that you don't allow to puff. Yeah. And again, and like a re- restrained bagel. Oh, <laughs> yes. a restrained bagel. Plus, then they tie it in knots. It's a very BDSM yeah, kind of right. food, of really yeah. restrained and tied up and then then salted. And salted. Yeah, exactly. Pour some salt in that wound. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a neat thing. And it's also All right, pretzel. I see you. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about sort of the, the history. Right. So going into this and I love this when we have a topic and we start doing our homework. And I think I know where this is going, right? I, I think German, it's going to be some Dr. Pretzelstein that came up with this in <laughs> Germany, uh, but it is not. So, you know, with all history, there are different versions of this, but the main story that I kept seeing again and again is that pretzels were invented by an Italian monk, not German, uh, in the year 610 AD. And he did so as a reward for the young children kind of in his flock uh, when they learned their prayer. So supposedly he folded these strips of of this bread dough to resemble the crossed arms of praying children. Yeah. Uh, So uh, that was called the pretiola, again, in in Italian or pretiola, uh, which really meant little reward. So oh. they think that's where the term pretzel originated from, pretiola, which means, again, little, little gift or little reward, um, which I think was kind of cool. Totally blindsided by that fact. I would have bet money that someone would say they came out of a Germanic state, not out of Italy. Well, uh, but you've read other things about about them being the folded arms of prayer and things like that, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, Are you going to talk about that? Well, no, what, if you've got some – I didn't write anything else in my notes, but I read well, several things. Well, it's just things. that I think yeah, there's so much – a food as old as this, I think that depending on what we're, what we're researching and what we're studying, you find things like the the information you're finding now. But then you read a lot about the monks folding them together to uh, signify the Trinity, with the three holes. Right. So, I guess it's really hard to know exactly what the true one is. Yeah, and it, and I think people have adopted it and changed it. And um, what I did see was that. Even let's let's uh, let's go with the with the story that it was invented in Italy. You saw the sort of spread of pretzels 
kind of as Catholicism spread. And uh, you can kind of see on a map the more sort of Catholic regions of the Germanic area. So Austria is mostly Catholic. Bavarian is mostly Catholic. And the, they started using the pretzel not only as a symbol of, um, of prayer, but also it was used as sort of a luck thing, right? And they were also used in wedding ceremonies to symbolize like the matrimonial bond of tying yeah. the knot. Um, but the, one of the reasons that the Catholics were fond of pretzels is because you could make a pretzel with only essentially flour and water so they could be eaten during Lent. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a it was a perfect food for that. And uh, during Lent, when uh, Catholics or Christians are forbidden to eat these certain foods, um, pretzels became super popular and they were they were eaten quite regularly during Lent, but also during Easter. And during that sort of, you know, medieval times, pretzels were sort of the original Easter egg. So children would go on these pretzel hunts uh, in the morning, just instead of going for eggs, they were looking for pretzels. And of course, they, they got to eat them from so, from the pretzel bunny. <laughs> the pretzel bunny, yeah, he's uh, like he's high very intelligent. Pretzels around the, <laughs> yeah. what you're yep. making that up? No, listen, I, uh, pretzel I, bunny. Yeah, the pretzel bunny was wearing lederhosen. I assume the Hassan Hassan. They would thing. hide pretzels. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what they would go looking for. So, um, so yeah, I thought that would be a fun tradition to revive uh, come Easter time. Remind me, I'm going to hide some pretzels for Heidi, and <laughs> we'll see what which I'm, one she's I'm more excited. I'm hiding one right now. Yeah, that is. <laughs> All right, I'll leave that right there. Um, so again, if you if you really look at a, a sort of religious map of of Europe. Pretzels are all over the place, but specifically, they are more concentrated in those Catholic uh, areas because, again, it was uh, a safe food to eat during their celebrations. Um, no one ties themselves up in knots better than the Catholics. <laughs> than the Catholics. We have right. it right there. There, there you, you go. go. Well, that's there the go. end of discussion. So now, as we come into the New World, into the uh, the colonies, which, of course, becomes the U.S., we see uh Pretzels were brought over by the pilgrims on the Mayflower, which is kind of cool because it seems like they brought all sorts of stuff, right? The seeds we talked about in other podcasts, um, but they did not bring seeds of the pretzel, the pretzel plant. Pretzel seeds. Um, yes, they actually brought uh, pretzels with pretzels, them. Pretzel seeds would be rock salt, I believe. Yeah, you're right. There you go. If you plant them, we'll see what happens. We'll do a uh, an experiment. So, again, popular all over Europe. I uh, my daughter Ella was just just spent the weekend in Copenhagen, and I asked her to take some pictures of danish pretzels thinking like they're gonna have all sorts she said there were none in any of the bakeries she went to there were no pretzels in in denmark um but if you hmm. go into bavaria and southern germany you're gonna find pretzels studded with poppy seeds or sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds um and of course different you can have they're kind of half almost like a marble rye is part pumpernickel part rye you can get pretzels that are dark on the Ooh. inside too like pumpernickel like a Ooh, marble really oh i want one yeah. of those yeah the um the diversity in in bavaria in particular is really impressive and the ones with the pumpkin seeds are fantastic if you have a chance to try them you Pump, should... pumpkin spice pretzels now no, it's destroyed no, no. for me yeah, no no i'm not a pumpkin spice guy but pumpkin no, seeds best, I can... but you know the best pretzel the chocolate covered pretzel I haven't. I have had pretzel sticks. Uh, Wait a minute! You've chocolate. never had a chocolate-covered pretzel? No, I haven't. What kind of monster are you? <laughs> a chocolate-covered pretzel is chocolatey and crunchy and salty. Oh my god! Like it when good. I buy like a little bag of chocolate-covered pretzels, it doesn't matter how big the bag is; it's always single serving. <laughs> it, I've had definite issue with those how could you've never had a chocolate covered I, pretzel you know i maybe have had a, a boiled peanut pretzel 
Oh. Uh, you know, to be fair, I'm not a huge chocolate fan, so um, I uh, I probably have seen them but avoided. But I have, like I said, I've had the uh, pretzel sticks dipped into like Nutella, and that is no, a good those big big ones. No, that's not the same. No, the ratio's off. I'm talking yeah. about a little chocolate covered pretzel, the little twisties. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I'll have to try them. I'll have to try him. I'll have to try um, him like it's some delicacy he's never heard of. I'm in He's not... hosting a food podcast, <laughs> and apparently you've never even eaten any delicious foods. I have. Just You're uh, coming I'm... at me with pumpkin seeds <laughs> and have never had like a chocolate covered. No, it... you know what? You don't know what the hell you're talking no, about. No, I don't. If I... I Look, don't. the rest of us are done. We're yeah. done with you. Well, I uh, I'm gonna put it on my to do list. Um, and again, I'm in the south. I mean, we uh, we don't have those at the Piggly Wiggly. Um, I love a Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> I need to get you a Piggly Wiggly shirt. I know you would wear it. So we were talking about pretzels, and here up until this point, we're talking about soft pretzels, right? So it's that chewy kind of you know a little bit of a flaky, crispy outside crust, but the it's the chewy ones. But more often now, you find crispy pretzels or hard pretzels when yes. you go to the grocery they're easier to to find because they hold longer uh, and they can hold them in airtight bags and uh, they stay fresh for longer and they're also the perfect snack to go alongside beer please which, hold uh, please yeah. hold yeah oh <laughs> these are unique snacks i don't know the brand but they're splits the original split open pretzel Oh, nice. Look, doesn't that look good? It it's does not, look it's good. It's not too big. It's very kind of shiny on the outside. Here you go. Ready? Is it, yep. What is it? SMR? Is that like the sound yeah. thing that people like? Exactly. All right, here we go. Here we go. Nice. Good crunch happening there. Good crunch. A little SMR for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, uh, I'm going to wake up to the sound of uh, pretzels chomping. It's going to be in my nightmare, probably. <laughs> Can you do an impersonation of Droopy eating pretzels? <laughs> <laughs> no, because Droopy wouldn't be so damn sad if he ate more pretzels, probably. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> that, you know is that is true. That is That sounds like Droopy eating pretzels. No, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Do you remember that? This is not Stump the Straight Guy. Is it not? Because I, <clears throat> I don't remember that. No, it was a great Seinfeld episode where Kramer got somehow got a line in the latest Woody Allen movie and he was sitting at a bar and he got to say these pretzels are making me thirsty and everyone sing, uh, you know, Elaine and George and Jerry were saying, no, you're saying it wrong. You should be saying these pretzels are making me thirsty. You, know, you haven't heard that? You know, I watched Seinfeld with my sister. Uh, what, uh, my sister, Sonia, was a huge uh, Seinfeld fan because Sonia actually looked a bit like Elaine and quite honestly acted a bit like Elaine at times. Uh, and I went with Sonia to see Jerry Seinfeld at the Fox, and I had no idea he had a television show. I just knew he was a comedian. So once again, the rest of the world is off is celebrating pop culture. I knew he was a comedian, but I had no idea that he had a television show. So at the end of the concert, he took questions about the show, and I knew nothing. I knew none of the characters, but I did fall in love with the Seinfeld show afterwards, and it always makes me think of my sister, but I don't know that I've seen all of them. Jeez. But, Did you know that he also has a uh, really terrific line of chocolate-covered pretzels? Who? Seinfeld? Jerry Seinfeld. No. Are you messing oh, with he, me? Yes, of course I'm messing with you. You don't know Jerry Seinfeld. You don't know chocolate-covered pretzels. <laughs> these pretzels are making me thirsty. Well, that's why I rely on you for these pop culture references. Well, so while we're talking about these crispy, crunchy, somewhat loud snacks, um, so let's kind of make that shift, right? So we, we were talking about soft, chewy pretzels. 
But as German immigrants came into uh, into the New World, and particularly in Pennsylvania, um, they were eating more and more pretzels. And this baker, German baker, and how do you pronounce this Pennsylvania? I said it wrong earlier. Lititz? Yeah, Lititz. Lititz, Pennsylvania. L-I-T-I-T-Z. That's right. Um, I was pronouncing, I had the accent on the second half of the name, which didn't come out quite as well. Letits. Uh, These pretzels <laughs> are letits. Letits, Pennsylvania. I mean, I, I was going to applaud them for their being so brash and bold by naming their town Letits. Um, but that's not what they're known for. They are known for the creation of the first true hard pretzel. And it was a baker named uh, Julius Sturgis. Uh, and he sort of revolutionized and changed the world of pretzels. You wouldn't be eating that deliciously crunchy bag of pretzels if it wasn't for uh, Julius Sturgis. Uh, but I've never been to, I've been, actually, I've been through uh, Philadelphia. I spent an hour in Philadelphia, but I hear that Pennsylvania is kind of like the pretzel capital of the U.S. Um, it It is. I'm going to talk a bit about that, but I want to like first visit uh, uh, your homeland because, we, as you mentioned, it's Oktoberfest. Right. So, I just want to talk about that a bit. Oktoberfest, uh, the first Oktoberfest, I didn't know this. I was wondering how it started. And it, it started as a wedding celebration more than 200 years ago, where Bavaria's crown prince Ludwig married Princess uh, Therese of saxony Hindenburg-Schnaffelberger. <laughs> uh, and the wedding was celebrated with multiple days of drinking and feasting and horse racing. And um, it was incidentally kind of promoting the unity of this kingdom, which at that time was just like four years old. It was brand new. And that became an annual event because it was so popular. Uh, and it's been continuous for over 200 years, except for cancellations during wartime um, and during multiple cholera outbreaks. Wow. Canceled a couple times due to cholera. So I'm thinking about that. I mean, Oktoberfest has been around longer than, well, nearly, yeah, yeah, longer than America or yeah. nearly as long as we well, Yeah, about, about the same. Yeah. Um, and up until the 1300s, the beer brewing, because Oktoberfest, of course, beer, uh, until the 1300s, beer brewing was reserved only for noblemen. They were the only ones who had the rights to acquire the permit. Hmm. But there was a couple of poor harvests, and they lost a bunch of tax revenue. So they opened up at the later part of the 14th century to commercial brewing. So these six original brewers in Munich are the only beers that are allowed to be served at Oktoberfest. Wow. Uh, and in, in order of time, this is uh, Augustiner, which was founded in um, 1328. Augustiner, which was founded in 1328. So that's the oldest brewery within Munich city limits. Uh, Hocker Shore. Now, this is a beer that I don't really drink, and I didn't realize that these beers, Augustiner, Hockershore, some of these others that we're going to talk about, have been around as long, so I've got kind of a new appreciation for them. But Hockershore was a husband and wife team, Joseph Shore and uh, his wife, Maria Theresia Hacker. Now, Hacker Brewing had already been around for about 300 years when, wow. in the 1700s, Joseph Shore, who was a brewery servant, married the daughter of the brewmaster, Maria Hacker. And then they together developed it into uh, Munich's leading brewery. I thought that was interesting. Nice. Um, Lowenbrau is one. They began brewing in the late 14th century, but they didn't really take the name Lowenbrau until the mid-1700s. And outside of their big their beer tent, they have this big lion that is raising a... Uh, uh, what is one of those automated autom automotive automotive auto he's not an automotive lion what is he <laughs> is it uh, an animatronic sort of thing or yeah, a, on, yeah 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 he raises the beer stein and goes, <laughs> well, that's kind of fun 
Yeah, and of course, you know, it's it's pronounced Leuven, uh, Leuvenbräu in German. That's because the lion, not the Lion King from the, you know, Disney or the musical or whatever, but that, that particular king was known as the Lion King. Uh, and so, yeah, it, the city of Braunschweig, everything you see is always lions, lions, lions. Yeah. And uh, that kind of, he was sort of one of the uh, Kaisers that sort of united the German folks. So you see a lot of lions in uh, related to old Germany. Well, it's super busy there. You have to wait on a long lion to get a beer. <laughs> so there's that. There you uh, go. Spaten, that has a history going back to like 1397. Hofbrau. That was founded later in 1589, founded by the Duke of Bavaria and owned by the Bavarian state government. So that's a whole other story, which is really interesting. And the Hofbrau House, where you go and eat and drink and be merry. And uh, Polaner. And Polaner? Polaner? Yeah. Um, that was brewed by monks since uh, the 1600s. So that's like the baby of the beers. <laughs> and it was only made for the monks. Uh so the only time it was available to the public was at these festivals. Nice. But today's Oktoberfest. Have you been? So, no, I have not been to Munich during October. I've been just before and just after as they're starting to set up or tear down, but I've never been during the pure chaos of Oktoberfest. Yeah, I'd love to go. Six million people go. Wow. From all over the world, obviously. It runs for two weeks. It runs for, you know, basically around 16 days, depending on when the days fall. The last day being the uh, first Sunday in October. Some things that I thought were fun was that only Bavarian music is allowed to play until six o'clock, <laughs> which is what I would want. I, I don't want to go yeah. there and like hear Pat Benatar. Yeah, or Milli Vanilli. No, you want some Oompa German stuff. Yes, totally. And then I was looking at the activities, which are very German. There is, um, you know, like rides. No, this is, this is why we have to go, because they have a, a ride called a toboggan. And it's this steep inclined ramp that you go up and to get up to the top of this toboggan sled where they give you a mat and it's an old wooden sled that old type of you know ramp that you slide yep. down but the incline is a conveyor belt and hmm. it is a it's a steep incline so as you go to get on it as you step on it it's moving so quickly that basically half the ride is people standing outside watching all of these people fall on their ass <laughs> it's hysterical because they have a, a a rail but if you grab the rail it just tears your feet out sure. from under you um so there's guys who stand there and as you go to get on it if you start to fall they just grab you by the scruff of your neck and they jump on and they haul your ass up to the top Nice. It's so funny to watch these videos of people um, just being grabbed and shoved and like moving conveyor belt plus beer equals comedy gold. <laughs> of course. You know, that just launches you up this ramp and you just end up riding up the top of the ramp to, on your back like a turtle. They've got the uh, Teufelsrad, the devil's wheel. Do you know this, Hans? I have seen the Teufelsrad, but I, I've never done it. I'm not much of a ride guy, but uh, they have some pretty interesting rides there. Just explain it. So this is a really, it's an old one. It's basically a disc, a large disc in the center of a room. And, and they say, ready, go. And people run and they sit on the disc and they all uh, grab each other's link arms so that they don't fly off. And then the disc starts to spin kind of slowly and faster and faster. And then it'll stop and then it'll start. And people just get like flown off of this <laughs> disc um, with the centrifugal force. Uh, 
And if you are the last one there, when they're trying to get you down, they start to like, they throw like this Miley Cyrus wrecking ball at you. And it's just coming <laughs> back and forth and smacking people in the head. And if that's not working, they start to throw ropes down there, which can either grab you accidentally around the neck, or it can kind of get under your ass and knock you off and pull you down. It's hysterical. And it is so not American because if you were in America and you sat on that wheel and somebody threw a wrecking ball at you, you'd be like, dear internet, I am suing all of you. And then you threw a rope at me and I got rope burn. So, and then they threw a, a slice of cheese on my forehead. <laughs> You know, it just sometimes like America. What are yep. we doing? Can we yep. just stop and enjoy ourselves, people? Well, that reminds me of when my uh, we brought my uncle to Stone Mountain, which is this giant uh, granite mountain in Georgia, and it's a, it's a beautiful walk up there. But there are fences and handrails everywhere, and signs basically saying, "If you fall off the mountain, it's not our fault." And they were just astonished. Why would you put signs on a mountain? Like if a right. human's going to climb a mountain, you inherit the risk that you might fall off said mountain. Yeah, but right. uh, you know, here it's you've got to sign the paperwork and you've got to relinquish uh, liability before you can do anything. So, yeah, it's that's a different podcast. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, but there's also uh, a ride where the kids can kind of ride in these uh, uh, balloons, like, you know, hot air balloons, but they're not hot air balloons. They're just, um, you know, just the things that spin around yeah, shaped yeah. like hot air balloons. Right. But it's called Balloon Journey, but in German, it's called Balloon Fart. <laughs> <laughs> so That's your favorite part, yeah. The, the Balloon Fart. Now, do you laugh when driving through Germany every time you see an exit and it says Ausfart? Do you do Does you chuckle? <laughs> every single exit's Ausfart. All, all farts are Ausfarts in That's my, what, yeah, you don't want to keep in my in. life. <laughs> you, don't want, well, you don't want them held in. Nope. You need the Ausfarts or you know, they'll explode. So, of course, at Oktoberfest, you're going to see people in traditional garb in the dirndls and the lederhosen, but sometimes they'll be accessorized by Hansel. Oh, the hats? Are you talking about the hats with no, the feathers? Even no, even better. The, the pretzel necklace. Oh, the pretzel necklace. So nice. the pretzel necklace is a, ne a necklace made of with a piece of string with pretzels around it so that you can drink a lot of beer and just kind of, it's like the candy necklaces yeah. only for drinkers. So, um, the first known mention of pretzel necklace came from this obscure German uh, German text, not, not that somebody was texting in 1521, <laughs> but the text of a book in 1521. Uh, it was probably uh, because it was the official emblem of the sacred order of the Reinheitsgebot, uh, that sect of Germans who worshipped the beer's holy trinity. Yep. Uh, they would string several pretzels on a cord, as I was talking about before, and then tie those around their necks. And they would always keep their sacred trinity close to the heart. Nice. But the pretzel necklace now is divisive. I saw one blog uh, dedicated entirely to the argument that the pretzel necklace is, quote, a snack-based ID badge for assholes. <laughs> so they don't want to see you walking around well, with damn. a pretzel necklace. It's too much. Um, and then I found a company that sells them in bulk, like and it really rubbed me the wrong way because how lazy are you? And again, I'm just, I'm looking at you, America. How lazy are you that you need to order pretzels on a string from a website? I mean, what kind of jewelry skills does somebody need 
to put, you made macaroni necklaces as a kid. You can't figure out the pretzels, but apparently Americans, we cannot because I was finding all of these how-to videos online on how to assemble a pretzel necklace. So there's this one woman, she had a five minute video explaining the intricacies of the lock pretzel because when you put together, you've got your string and your, your little pretzels and you need your lock pretzel. That's the one you tie on tight so that it keeps everything in place. Like, well, who doesn't think of that? Thank you. Yeah. And then she showed how you could alternate them for a pretty woven look. But anyway, back to the pretzel necklace company. So as I mentioned, I'm getting all indignant, right? Like, how can this possibly support itself, this company, you know? Then I read that they employ people with disabilities and they are uh, working to serve the underserved. And then I felt bad. And if you want to order your pretzel necklace in bulk, you can visit necknosh.com. Necknosh. I like the name. Sorry. Sorry, Necknosh, for (laughs) for judging you. So there's a festival in St. Paul, Minnesota called the Beer Dabbler. Uh, It's a beer festival. And they have, they're big with the pretzel necklaces. Now, on their website, they say, our policy clearly states no outside food or beverages are allowed in our festival. So please don't make us be cops about this. We will throw your food away. And we hate wasting food almost as much as you're going to hate your food being wasted. However, in deference and respect to beer festival traditions, snacklesses (laughs) will be allowed at the Beer Dabbler. Consider this your delicious loophole. And don't abuse it. So a snackless is your upscale pretzel necklace. So your snackless can have cheese sticks, little baggies of like goldfish crackers, chunks of jerky hanging from your snackless, your meat sticks. Uh, a, and here's some tips. That, well, that I just have to say that seems like a giant loophole because you can hang anything. I mean, just get some. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, just bring the whole buffet on a necklace. Right. And you're if you've got a big enough hole punch, you can hang a slice of pizza from there around your <laughs> neck. You know, don't. I hope you don't like that T-shirt, but you could do that. You can put some wings. Put yep. some wings around sure. your neck. Yep. So if you uh, here's some tips to fashion your own snackless at home. If you're planning on stringing like little treat-filled baggies, like we said, if you know you, maybe you put your, I don't know, your cereal and milk into a baggie on your around your <laughs> neck. Uh, they recommend punching a small hole in the upper left corner or the upper right corner rather than in the center. That way you can partially open your bag and grab a bite. Which Good idea. Without Good removing idea. it from your line. Uh, but then again, many non-believers scoff at the pretzel necklace and the snackless, and they want you to know that wandering about with uh, basically Lunchables around your neck is the food equivalent of uh, pinning your mittens to your coat. Well, it's, uh, but who, why, why is there snobbery in that? I mean, well, they're just taking the joy out of the whole thing. You know what? I, I agree. I yeah. agree. And I'll tell you, Hans, that I'm of two minds of this because, first of all, I am that snob. I would walk around and going, oh, what are you, what are you people <laughs> doing with all that food around your neck? But there is also a big part of me that's like, oh, come on, look at you with the food around your yep. neck. Yep. You go. So I don't know. It depends on my mood if I'm a jerk or not. That's true. And, but it also frees up your hands to hold a second beer, right? So at a beer festival, you can, you have two hands and you got to, I like it. That's right. Yes. Yes. So this is bringing us firmly back to the States. And that's what you were talking about yeah. with Pennsylvania. So today, 80% of America's pretzels are still made in Pennsylvania. Wow. Pennsylvania is home to 45 pretzel companies. Wow. You mentioned uh, the Sturgis company, Julius Sturgis opening up in, in Lidditz in the 1860s. Now, when they did that, 
pretzel twisting was the second highest paying job wow. in 1861. Tobacco workers were the highest. And then if you were a pretzel worker, you're making some good bucks. Wow. So when they got really in place, Sturgis, uh, many more pretzel bakeries popped up around them. And so Southeastern Pennsylvania became the epicenter of the U.S. pretzel production, or what we call, are you ready, people? We do call this, in fact, the pretzel belt. Really? Yeah. Okay. Snyder's of Hanover, Hares, and Oots, Uts. Yep. No UTZ. Uh, lots of little artisan brands. Auntie Anne's. Did you know that Annie Ann is a real person? You know, all of those Auntie yeah. Anne's that you see at the yeah, malls in the mall, and the airports? Yeah. Yep. Ann Byler. She grew up uh, in an Amish Mennonite family on a farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And she started selling pretzels from a booth at a farmer's market. Again, you know, you want to scoff at Annie Ann being in the malls? She started because she was trying to fund a w find a way to fund a family counseling center. Wow. Like all of these pretzel philanthropists. <laughs> pretzel, that's a, that's a mouthful of pretzel philanthropists. That's a yes, long... that is gets a good one, right? Yeah. Um, now, Annie Ann's has over 1,600 outlets around the world with regional specialties, such as a banana pretzel in England, hmm. which is strange. I don't know why bananas yeah. in England. Yeah. I don't know. A seaweed pretzel in Singapore. Okay. It's probably okay. got that umami kind of. Yeah. That's probably good, right? Yeah. A date flavored pretzel in Saudi Arabia. You're, you're nodding your head, right? That sounds good. I'd eat a date pretzel. I would too. Uh, but in their corporate headquarters still remain in Pennsylvania. Oh, and by the way, Sturgis, which we've mentioned a couple times, is still a family-owned business. So if you aren't, Hans, or you aren't listener, familiar with them, it's because to this day, they just work in small batch production, and they only distribute within a 150-mile radius of Reading, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah, I've and never seen why, it. Yeah. Right? And they've been around. They are the oldest one, but they just are like, yeah, we're going to stay small. Sounds good. Um, in Philly, the annual pretzel consumption is 12 pounds per person per year. Wow. The normal average is two. Six times. That's yeah. crazy. So here we are again, um, talking about uh, American spots claiming they are, you know, the- The best, the biggest. The best, the best. They're, Freeport, Illinois calls itself the Pretzel City, USA. They had a local German bakery uh, known for its pretzels since the 1850s. Freeport highs- Hey, Freeport. Shout out to Freeport. Freeport <laughs> High School mascot is Hans. A pretzel? A pretzel. Nice. Uh, and they pray, they play at uh, what stadium? Where are we at? Which, what's the, uh, is it Pretzel Stadium or is Pretzel it... Stadium. Nice. Uh, in the strangest example of gender labeling, uh, the boys team is the Freeport High Pretzels and the girls team is the Freeport High Lady pretzels. Lady pretzels. I would have said pretzelettes, but maybe that's, uh, that's Lady insensitive. Pretzels. Lady pretzels. Uh, but Reading, Pennsylvania says they are the uh, pretzel capital of the world because they invented the automatic pretzel machine. So they're like the Silicon Valley of pretzels. Got it. Because before World War II, pretzels were all shaped by hand. A talented pretzel maker could twist 40 pretzels per minute, which is why he made so much right sure. behind the tobacco rollers. But in 1947, the Redding pretzel machine, which could twist 250 pretzels a minute. Wow. Yep. So uh, by 1948, like the next year, Redding's pretzel bakeries were producing one third of all of the pretzels baked in the United States. 
That and is plus, impressive. Yeah. And the Reading High School, their mascot is the Red Knight, and they're known as the Scarlet Knights. So I, yeah, point for the uh, for Freeport. Yeah. I mean, the Knights, what the hell is that? <laughs> and what do they have, the Lady Knights? No. <laughs> no, we're looking at you, Freeport, with your Lady Pretzels. Lady pretzels. <laughs> I think if you if you compliment the ladies' pretzels, I don't out of context, they might not. Like I can them. see your lady pretzels. I know. I just I'm wearing a really ill-fitting bra today. She wore a looser shirt. Um. So this isn't your quiz, um, but do you remember a famous pretzel incident in 2002 involving a president? I do not. You don't? You don't remember President George Bush choking on a pretzel in oh, 2002? Was it the senior George Bush? No. Oh, no, it George was George W. Bush. W. W. Wow, I did not realize that. He was that. watching a football game. He started choking on a pretzel. He briefly lost consciousness, and he may have saved his own life because he fell on his belly and accidentally performed a Heimlich maneuver on himself. Wow. Don't you remember he had a big uh, he had a big bruise on his face? Yeah, I do remember that. I guess I didn't realize. I knew I remember he choked on something. I guess I didn't realize it was a pretzel. Yeah, uh, in other presidential choking incidents, Ronald Reagan nearly died in an airplane choking on a peanut. Oh. He was campaigning in 1976 for his first presidential run. He had been eating peanuts and drinking a Coke. He started choking, and uh, his campaign aide Mike Deaver performed the Heimlich maneuver on him, which. Reagan himself had taught him. Well, now, didn't, is that the year that Carter won with 76 to 80, somewhere in there? Uh, because I see a conspiracy if, if Jimmy Carter, a peanut farmer, and now right? his rival, <gasps> Ronald Reagan, chokes on a peanut, I think President Carter needs an alibi. That's a little well, did too- Did we not think about that? Yeah, that's a little too on the nose. This is going to be a true crime food uh, investigation. <laughs> Um, and let's let's not forget George H.W. Bush, Bush Sr., who didn't choke per se, but he did vomit into the lap of the Japanese minister. Yep, I do remember that. He was scheduled to give remarks at a dinner, and he fainted in his chair and vomited in Kichi uh, Miyazawa's lap while Barbara held a napkin against his mouth. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Party found. But that'll bring us back to Jimmy Carter, and here is your quiz, today's quiz. Oh. So, Jimmy Carter, did he choke on a Georgia peach pit? Was he hospitalized due to his allergy to the state flower, the Cherokee rose? Was he C, did he burn his tongue on a plate of fried green tomatoes? Or D, was he in a boat that was chased by a killer rabbit? <laughs> I, I love the last one. I cannot imagine that scenario. I want that to be true. Um, I, and given the fact that he was a gardener, I'm, I don't think he would be allergic to roses. Uh, so I'm going to think it was on the peach pit. Jimmy Carter, his boat was chased by a killer rabbit. How? He was what? in a little rowboat. <laughs> this. <laughs> he was in a little rowboat. And I guess this rabbit, what they called a swamp rabbit, like not just a little bunny, but a bigger rabbit in that area, uh, has got much bigger feet. Uh, I guess it was being chased apparently by something. So it was in distress and it started chasing his boat and was apparently gnashing and gnawing because it was terrified and was trying to climb into the boat. And Carter had to like take his oar and splash it away. And it became like national news. Jimmy Carter nearly killed by a rabbit. And people didn't believe him and he was mocked. And then 
somebody, one of the newspapers, actually have a picture of this rabbit wow. swimming toward corner in a boat. So I mean, that's that's the wildest. But I didn't know rabbits could swim. I, no, I guess I've right? never never heard that context. Right. But then how does it I mean, it doesn't like how does it get into the boat or how does it even try to get? Well, into it the didn't boat? get into the boat because he had to splash it to save his own life from the rabbit. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's the answer I wanted it to be. So, you yeah, that was that's that's great. All right. And you can't top killer rabbits. So with that note, let's go to some recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So I have mentioned on previous episodes, and I will reiterate, I am not a baker, but I do love a, a good, freshly baked anything. So I'm very fortunate that my wife and my older daughter, Ella, are both fantastic bakers. They love recipes and they like doing the whole, you know, the massaging of the dough and all of the, the sort of, you know, rules that you have to follow to bake anything. That is so not my style of cooking. But uh, Ella took it on as a project to make pretzels one time and uh, they came out fantastic. And so I'm going to share the recipe that she used. It's from a website called The Kitchen, where they removed, uh, just just like uh, Michael Thomas and his uh, sherb and his super chill, where he removed the extra letters. Uh, this is The Kitchen, K-I-T-C-H-N. Yes, I know uh, them. Yeah, yeah so uh, they had, they do a great little expose on, on pretzels, and they do a great version where instead of using lye, as I mentioned, lye was sort of historically the um, what they would use. And lye is a pretty weird thing. If you're not familiar with lye, it um it's this kind of really alkaline chemical called sodium hydroxide and it's caustic i mean it will absolutely it will yeah. damage surfaces like countertops it'll burn yeah, that's your what, skin that's what you do if you've been if you're a serial killer you're going to want a little lie on hand yeah and it's true and if you remember fight club he was uh, he was stealing uh, some of the fat from the liposuction place to boil it down and get the lie uh, so it, it's a it's used in a lot of things, soap making and industrial purposes. But when you're baking with it again, too much and it can it can become a dangerous thing. So uh, the kitchen, uh, their website, uh, their experiment, they used baked baking soda. So something about putting the baking soda in the oven first and cooking it once and then letting that cool down and using it in the um, in your your water bath when you're boiling it really gives it that dark. Uh, and kind of crispy on the outside, chewiness on the inside. So uh, it's a really, really great recipe. And, and the ones that uh, that Ella did came out fantastic. Now, I do want to mention just briefly about the shape, because if you are um, intimidated by that shape, you don't have to make that shape, right? You can make pretzel rods, you can do, um, you know, circles. Uh, but I did look into sort of why that shape, you know, it's it really of course, it's aesthetic, but there's a lot of practical reasons for that shape. Number one, it's the right ratio of crust to, to chewy inside. So you're getting a lot of surface area. When you say uh, shape, are you talking about the crossed arms part? Yeah, the sort of knotted part, like yeah, in yeah, general, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. So the a pretzel, if you did it like a baguette, that also could be a perfect ratio. But ovens, especially in medieval times, were only so wide. And so if you if you tried to do a baguette, sometimes you'd have one end would get more done than the other. But something about having that sort of knot shape oh. uh, gives you that it's the right size of the oven. It gives you the right ratio of crust to chewy insides. And 
if you hang it on a hook, that knot gives a little bit more structural in- integrity to the whole thing. So it's almost like yeah. a uh, like an arch across the middle that holds the whole thing together, and you can hang it on a hook and and sell, sell them. We've done that at catering uh, events. Actually, yeah, had I remember you, hot pretzels. Yeah. I've seen that. It's a it's a great way, a great presentation. Um, but again, if that intimidates you, and there are a lot of YouTube videos on how to how to twist that if you want to go for it, but you can also make this recipe and just do some pretzel rods or uh, again, kind of loaf or baguette style or even pretzel buns, but you'll still get that dense, chewy inside with that dark kind of, again, slightly alkaline, right? So it's the opposite of an acid. It's got that sort of basic uh, thing going on and uh, it's delicious. It's worth a try. So even somebody like me, I watched her, I've not made them, uh, but I watched her make them and I think I could do it. So I also don't forget if you practice hard, there's big money in the pretzel right. holding in the 1860s. <laughs> so. so we'll just take a field trip to uh, the 1860s. Uh, my cocktail today, because there's, I, I couldn't do another beer cocktail, you know, beer and pretzels go together, but I couldn't do another beer cocktail. So I went with salt. <laughs> well, nice. So I'm doing a salty dog and another, uh, uh, what is it? ASR, what's it called? I think it's ASMR or ASMR. I think so, ASMR, I think. Nice. That's the salty dog. The salty dog is just a version of a greyhound. A greyhound is vodka and uh, grapefruit. A salty dog just adds salt around the rim, maybe a little bit in it. Um, and you can also use gin. And the idea of a mellow gin and the tangy grapefruit and a little bit of salt is just a trifecta. Uh, so it's a very simple cocktail, but it's uh, it's really great. It's a great brunch cocktail, and I love the name. And apparently, the history of it. Um, there was a, uh, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, George Jets, George Jessel. I almost said George Jetson. <laughs> I like the idea of George Jetson doing it. Why not? <laughs> George Jetson originated Salty Dog. There was uh, George Jessel, Georgie Jessel. He was an actor, singer, and a, and a comic. And uh, people might know that he was known as the Toastmaster General of the United States. He was very famous. He also originated the title role in the stage production of Today's Star. <laughs> Already in recipes, I just thought we, uh, I'd, I'd just breeze right. I wasn't going to raise my hand and say, hey, wait, we forgot. Nope, but here it is. Yeah, yep, I didn't. You, did, you forgot to give us homework. All right, this Broadway musical that uh, Georgie Jessel uh, played the lead in it became even more famous for its film adaptation. The film adaptation starred Al Jolson in the leading role, and it was the first talkie. The songs were Mammy, Toot Toot Tootsie Goodbye, Blue Skies, The First Talkie. This shouldn't be, you know, this isn't just Broadway knowledge. This is life knowledge. Yeah, and, and my wife loves silent Starring movies. The, he, he wore blackface and he sang Mammy and his name was? I don't know. Do, 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 do. Ah, done. Yeah, I don't know. You're done. I know you don't know. You should know. Uh, I bet you guys know. So go over to our Facebook page and and play Stump the Straight Guy so I can give you a like. We didn't play it last week because it was our our one-year anniversary episode and we talked about it, but didn't play it. So head over to the Facebook page and and play with us and give us your your knowledge. So anyway, throughout his life, um, George Jessel vehemently argued that he was the one who uh, originated this drink. he had, uh, we said it was a little something of my own invention, just fresh grapefruit juice, vodka, a dash of salt. 
And uh, he also apparently claimed um, ownership of inventing the Bloody Mary. Oh, wow. George Jessel. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of people who say they did, but he's pretty famous. And in his autobiography, he said it was me. So anyway, today's drink, George Jessel's Salty Dog. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. Okay, if you would like these recipes, go to our website, butidigestpodcast.com. Go get these recipes. Maybe we'll do the recipes with a little ASMR because those are the letters, people, ASMR. <laughs> and of course, it means autonomous sensory meridian response. But you knew that. Right no, on. but I do now. I do now. Shh, just tell people you know it. I mean, you're on That's you're true, on podcast. Yeah. That's true. Act they like can't you know see what you're face. talking about. <laughs> pretend you ate the chocolate-covered pretzels. For the love of Pete, just pretend you know what you're talking about. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Especially when my uh, my eight-year-old Heidi asks a question, and I just have to share. She um, spent a week. Uh, we just came back from the beach, and my, my son, Finn, who is 22, went. And every time poor Heidi asked a question— trying to get a legitimate answer. She had to listen to the bullshit of my <laughs> son, Finn, and the bullshit of myself. And she would then turn to Amy and say, what's the real answer? But we had so much fun, whether it was about sea life or food or whatever. Poor Heidi, her uh, she's going to have her eyes permanently rolled in the back of her head uh, <laughs> between her brother and her father giving her BS. I so understand that. When, yeah. Nate, when he was little and he would be like, how, how many miles is the earth to the sun? I'd be like, 7,042. <laughs> and then yep. you wouldn't then it would be the end of it yep yep you know yep. uh if you want to email us but i digest podcast at gmail.com facebook and instagram but i digest podcast twitter at but i digest pod on our website you're going to find a link to hans's line of yummy spices as well as a link to download my cocktail book the new old bar featuring multiple drinks by george jessel and the uh, the out of the blue salt that I make that yes. uh, has lavender and coriander and white pepper is actually a great pretzel topping. So when uh, when Ella made the pretzels, we put that on there and it is fantastic. So just a little oh, uh, plug there. You put that into your salty dog. Oh, that would be good too. With the lavender and stuff, put that into your salty dog. That's, that sounds like a euphemism. Put that in your salty dog. <laughs> um, special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel. To our editor, Natalie DeChico. Special music by Corey Goodrich. Our theme music is by Brian Reyes. I'm You're ready for a pretzel. Show? What? What? I said I'm ready for a chocolate dip pretzel now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too late. I'm not offering you one. Um, if you're enjoying our show, hey, let your friends know uh, and send us some chocolate-covered pretzels. Hansel, yep. are we done here? We, we are at Hansel and Pretzel are done. <laughs>